This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined this week by Brady from Andy Takes That Chance Podcast. Brady, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us, Elliot. Um, big boots to fill with George not being here, but I'll, uh, I'll do my best. Yeah, unfortunately, no George this week. Um, unfortunately, a bit of a, a family incident for George, so we send him our best. I'm sure he'll be back with us uh, to record the podcast next week. But delighted to have Brady in for not only for his championship knowledge, but of course, specialising in Huddersfield Town. So have a good chat about Darren Moore uh, and his new arrival and, and obviously what's been a big summer for, for Huddersfield with the takeover and everything in between as well. Um, as always, a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed. You can find it on all your usual platforms and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a massive thank you to our sponsors, Cars Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you go and visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all summit devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And over the next hour, we'll be bringing you reaction to the big talking points from the weekend as Leicester City and Ipswich Town continue their rise, or Sheffield Wednesday sack Cisco Munoz. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So Brady, we'll start with the Championship sacking of last week as we record. Obviously, Sheffield Wednesday parting company with Cisco Munoz. Of course, they played Huddersfield at the weekend. We'll come on to sort of the Huddersfield side of that. Darren Moore going back to Hillsborough in a moment. But no real shot to see Wednesday um, make the change. Two points from a possible 30 ahead of the weekend. And quite frankly, it, it's been coming for a while. He tried to change too much too soon. It was very much um, revolution rather than evolution. There was no Sheffield Wednesday fans in the summer saying that Sheffield Wednesday didn't need to go out and sign younger players, add some youth into the squad. But the way that Cisco went about it, freezing out fans' favourites like Reese James, Marvin Johnson. But if you're going to freeze, it's one thing to freeze those players out. No one thinks that, you know, we're talking about prime Roberto Carlos here. But if you're going to freeze those players out, you can't put players in that are simply A, not to the level, and B, square pegs in round holes you know it wasn't like for like replacements he wasn't picking a left back ahead of a left back he was moving Akin Femewo out to left back or he's playing Juan Delgado the most right-footed winger you can ever see playing as a left wing back so it, it just became a bit bizarre I, I think everyone's quite aware that um he's been handed it was handed a terrible hand by Dave Ponchanceri the manner that Darren Moore, of course, left. Someone incredibly popular as well. No, no one wants to... Usually when you're coming into a club, you're following someone that's been pretty poor and you can automatically get a lift. He was already facing an uphill battle because the fans didn't want to lose Darren Moore. The late recruitment didn't help, of course, as well. But they signed too many players that, that were gambles. And whilst Wednesday need to be better at looking at overseas markets, as I say, it was just too much revolution and not evolution. And that's ultimately where Cisco failed. The tactics at times were very strange, playing 5-4-1 at home, sitting back 20. You know, I, I think there's very few games where Wednesday have had more than 35% possession in games this week, uh, this season. You're not going to get results that way. Um, just from sort of the outside, Brady, how, how surprised have you been by how poor Wednesday have been this season, considering that they got promoted in the manner they did and, and got 96 points? And of course, you sat there with uh, Darren Moore as your manager. I mean, I, I think I just really feel for Sheffield Wednesday fans because this is just a classic example. You know, it's not. I'm not saying anything, uh, anything too salacious here, but this is the example of bad ownership. You know, Chan series, it's just causing every. I think you know Sheffield Wednesday fans will admit this because I know Darren Moore was kind of 
although he's well liked, he did have his criticisms. Absolutely. You just see how an owner, you know, ruined is effectively ruining the club. I know Zisco wasn't wasn't the best, but I mean, you know, you look at that time with Darren Moore now and you think it's amazing that he managed to do that with all that going on in the background. The, the I mean, job that Darren did in, in that two years to get pick them up from where he did, it's aging incredibly well. Uh, not that a promotion could age badly, but it only gets better by the by the week. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and I I mean, you know, it's easy, you know, as I say, Colonel Hindsight never won the war, but I mean, even the, the introductory press conference, you know, obviously I don't, um, you know, it's not like I follow Wednesday every week, but, you know, to have your owner kind of, going after Carlton Palmer and, you know, just kind of making it all about who he's going after. Yeah, exactly. It's just, um, it's just a disaster really. You know, the manager didn't help himself. I mean, I forget who the, um, who the interviewer was for BBC Radio Sheffield, but that interview, Rob Staten, you know, that would be, yeah. Um, it just kind of said it all really. It's like, he did, he kind of wanted to be sacked. He didn't want to be there. You know, it's just a, it was a horrible appointment. Um, I think, you know, there's, <laughs> there's no getting away from that. And it, it leaves Sheffield Wednesday in a really difficult place. You know, whoever comes in, I think it's just, it's not an attractive job, is it? <laughs> you know, you look at that and you just think like... No, you, you're up, you're absolutely right. There's the manner in which Dave Ponchancer has behaved since the summer. And I've said this a few times on the podcast before, but Sheffield Wednesday got the best feeling around the club since they got to the playoff final in 2016 of the championship. To see, to, for one man to single-handedly ruin that in, what, 130-odd days since the playoff final is genuinely quite an achievement. Um, you're absolutely right. If Sheffield Wednesday wasn't Sheffield Wednesday in terms of the size of the club, the fan base, and there'll be a lot of managers out there that will think, mm, if I could turn this ship around, if I can get them moving. But if they weren't called Sheffield Wednesday, if it was Rotherham United, for example, or you know a, a less glamorous club, and I'm sh- I mean that with the best intentions in the world, there wouldn't be the application because it is a, a right mess. You look in the way Darren Moore's left. Managers are thinking, am my contract negotiations going to get leaked in a 1,500-word club statement? Chancery is completely and utterly to blame for this. Of course, Cisco has not helped himself. I think it's the right decision to make a change. And it'll be interesting to see who comes in. Danny Roll looks like the pretty fav- uh, pretty front runner at the moment. He was interviewed in the summer for the job, former uh, assistant manager for the German national team with Hansi Flick. And um, he was at Southampton as well under Ralph Hassenhutel. Pretty well thought of by Southampton fans just having a flick through some of the social media reaction to the reports. It's a difficult one because I think there's always an excuse to go short-term with managerial appointments. I think it's probably a valid one with Sheffield Wednesday. If Sheffield Wednesday turned around and appointed Neil Warnock, I don't think there would be that many Wednesdayites bothered. And that's quite remarkable given they nearly appointed him 10 years ago and didn't because of the backlash from fans. But obviously as someone that's had Neil Warnock in, if you took away his name of Neil Warnock, former Sheffield United manager, he would feel like the obvious candidate to come in and save Sheffield Wednesday. That said, there's 35 games to go and that is an awful long time for someone to build. And I generally don't like it when managers 10 games in and a club goes, give it someone to end the season. It's very short term. But I wouldn't have been as annoyed or as frustrated in Sheffield's case because they are in a dire situation. Where do you stand on the Warnock thing? Do you think he would be he would be the right man to come in? It, it's looking unlikely now. I think from what the reports are coming out from pretty reputable source that he'd be quite keen, but I don't think Wednesday made contact yet. Yeah, I mean, you can only look at what Huddersfield did last season. You know, it's a very it's kind of a similar situation. We had Danny Schofield in, um, you know, sacked after eight games, and we brought in the. The long-term project and <laughs> how did that go? Went brilliantly. Obviously, everyone remembers that. Um, but yeah, no, just uh, look like 
I think the thing is that you've got to appreciate, and I, look, you know, I, I know some Wednesday fans, they certainly appreciate this. You've kind of got to come in, given the poor start, and essentially hit, you know, top end, top, kind of top 10 form, really. Um, and Warnock is, you know, again, you know, obviously he did a fantastic job at Huddersfield. Everyone knows that. We don't need to talk about that. But yeah, I think he's probably the most obvious candidate. I think it's just... I can't talk, you know, highly enough of the effect he had last season, how he came in and, you know, we were we were dead and buried, you know, um, watching Huddersfield and he just came and changed everything around. And he says things that kind of unite the fan base. I appreciate it's a bit of a different situation with Wednesday, but he just takes all the pressure off. And I think that's something certainly that we really appreciated at Huddersfield. I, I appreciate it's slightly different at Wednesday, but he, yeah, I for me, he's kind of the best candidate out there. Um, I can see why you'd want someone a bit long term, but the thing is, they're not, you know, it's not, they've not had a pre season behind them and they're coming in a situation where it's a fire It's a big gamble, isn't it? I think if you look at someone like Danny Roll's CV, there's a lot to like there. And had they made that appointment in the summer, you'd feel a lot more positive. But it's undoubtedly a big risk with the situation they're in because they've got two points from a possible, uh, sorry, three points from a possible 33 now. That is, as you say, they're going to have to hit top half form to get out of it. Yeah, and I, I, that's tough for any manager, you know. And like, like I kind of touched on the stuff that's going on, you know, the stuff we're hearing from Chancery himself, like in statements, um, you know, I dread to think what's actually going on behind the scenes. And yeah, it's just, um, I, I think the best thing Wednesday could do, you know, just from my outside perspective, is have someone like Neil Warnock who's probably going to eliminate as much risk off on the pitch as you possibly can, you know, and um. I appreciate, like you say, it sounds like it's a done deal, but I'd be worried. And I mean, you know, you only have to look at what Huddersfield did last season, three managers in the season. And, you know, um, I'd hate for Wednesday to be in a similar situation, but that screams to me, <laughs> there's going to be another manager after this guy, which, you know, I, I, if I'm wrong, I'm completely wrong. But I just think it's, um, if you've got a chaotic situation and you've got a young, uh, you know, young manager and it's his first managerial role, um, it's a bit like what we had with Mark Fotheringham. It, it, it just kind of it's ringing the alarm bells for me, and I, I'd I'd be worried if I was a Sheffield Wednesday fan. I think that's fair. I think that there's a balance to it, isn't it? I think there's a lot of positive on CV, but it's just not the ideal situation for anyone to come into their first job um, with the chaos around the club. Let's talk about Huddersfield a little bit now. Obviously, they drew nil nil with Wednesday at the weekend. Darren Moore's been in for three games now, four games. Yeah. Um, and they've done pretty well. Of course, disappointing result uh, against Birmingham in midweek. What have you made to his start? How pleased are you with the appointment? And and where are Huddersfield at right now, in your view? Yeah, it's, Quite it's a good question. That. Yeah, no, it's all right. Um, I, th- I think Darren Moore's biggest problem is he's, he's probably the first manager in a long time that's come in when we were doing okay under Neil. So um, I've been impressed. I think, um, you know, obviously the Birmingham game, it's kind of a midweek game. He's still getting to know his squad. I think Lee Nichols makes that error uh, like two minutes in, which is, you know, unlike him and he kind of on the back foot from there. But look, I, it's a classic. I think the international breaks come at the right time for him. You know, we played very well against Ipswich and I, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But um, if we had a, a striker, I think we could have easily beaten, you know, a team that's up there competing for the for the title. Um, and But the problem is, what started as a good start, obviously rescuing a point against Coventry, getting a good draw against Ipswich, probably unlucky not to win that in some respects. And then, you know, obviously have the Birmingham game and then the Wednesday and it's gone from a promising start to, you know, a winless start. And, I, you know, 
I I think Darren Moore's a good appointment for us. Um, I said this on our podcast cards on the table. Like, I didn't really want Neil Warnock to stay for a, for another year. You know, I I just think as fantastic as a manager he is, and as I said earlier about how I think he would be good for Wednesday, it does restrict you. You know, in terms of long term, and we have a new ownership. And although yes, they kind of kept him on, um, it's not their guy. If you if you know what I mean, he's Neil Warnock's not a choice for long term. So. I think that the problem Darren Moore's got is if he was appointed in the summer, I think people would be like a fantastic appointment, you know. But the problem is he's coming in after Neil Warnock, who did such a fabulous job last season keeping a team that was dead and buried in the championship quite easily in the end, um, and was doing okay, you know, with limited resources. Um, he's got a, it's a tough act to follow, and a, you know, even regardless if it was Moore or Neil Warnock, that Huddersfield squad for me is. is it's poor, you know, like the bottom six squad, isn't it? It is, it is. And the thing is, we do have some good players in there, you know, like Lee Nichols is, is a fantastic goalkeeper. Um, I think Helic and, and Pearson and Lees, they're quite solid centre backs, but and you know, Josh Karoma can be an interesting player, but it's just lacking difference makers and it's it's quite a Fred Bear squad, really. You know, all it takes is a couple of injuries and we've we've seen that with Huddersfield. You know, Danny Ward's injured, he he's not someone you can rely on for a full season, unfortunately. You know, Jonathan Hogg Still one of our better players, but has a you know recurring hip injury. Can't play forty six games a season, and you look past that, and it's a lot of youngsters. And you know, as Neil kind of revealed, he was, as he was going out the door, there's a three year plan to get us in the Premier League. There's a lot of surgery and a lot of work that needs to be on that squad for us to to be talking about that and trying to achieve that target. And look, like you know, it is a long process, and I think how I kind of see Huddersfield at the moment is we do have an issue with scoring goals. I think that was very evident against Wednesday. I think that's evident in some of the games under Moore and under Neil um, at the start of the season. And I think it's just, you know, certainly to try and be optimistic, I think it's a case of maybe just trying to get through to the January window and let Moore bring the people in. He has fantastic connections as, you know, people who support Sheffield Wednesday will know, bringing in those like lone players. I think that's where town can make a difference. You know, we've got a squad that, Although it's not the strongest, it's got a couple of championship stalwarts. And if you can get a few, you know, young players in the, from the Premier League clubs who, you know, want to make a difference. We've seen we've had success with that. with like Levi Colwell, Emil Smith-Rowe, Trevor Shalaber in the past couple of years for Huddersfield. They're the players that Huddersfield who couldn't normally get. I Emil Smith-Rowe was at Huddersfield. I don't know how I forgot that. I just completely left my mind. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... Um, we're town fans won't forget it. You know, we kind of claim he got an England call up because of us, not because of the years he spent at Arsenal. Obviously, it was the you know what six months at town. But yeah, um, I I think that's where town can you know bridge the gap. You know, we saw um, under the Carlos Corbran season. It doesn't take much to, if you're solid and you do have some you know quality loans. You can make a real difference, and that's what we're going to kind of hope to. But yeah, it's um it's difficult. I think it's really difficult for Darren Moore because. You you know, everyone's has an agenda. A lot of people didn't want Neil to go, understandably. And I just think it's one of them where it suits everyone's narrative. You know, if Darren Moore doesn't do well, it people can be like, Well, why did you get rid of Neil? And yeah. if, you know, Darren Moore gets backed in January, it's like, Well, why didn't you do this with Neil Warnock? And it's I think it's a really difficult situation the owners have kind of put the club in, you know, in some respects. But, you know, look, it's a big call. They said they wanted to do it from a position of strength and um yeah, you know, we'll just have to see how it goes. But yeah, it's a it's a big risk for sure. But um, yeah, I, I'm happy with more. I think he's a good character, and we'll. Um, I think it's just kind of get through the season and go from there, really. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It'll be certainly um, be watching closely how that sort of unfolds. 
at Huddersfield over the next few months and, and beyond. Um, let's have a look at some of the weekend action now. Let's go to the early game on Saturday where Middlesbrough beat Sunderland 4-0 at the Stadium of Light. Borough have now won four in a row after their abysmal start of the season. They're five without a defeat and obviously the red card may have played a massive role in this game. Already on a yellow card, Neil was uh, Dan Neil was sent off, of course, around the, around the half-time mark, sent off for... Bit of petulance is probably the best way of describing it. Some people will say it's soft and to send him off for something like that in a, in a derby match is soft. That's the, that's the right word to say. Others will say that it's immature and that he's given the referee a decision to make. I don't really have a strong view on it. I, I think that I can see both sides of that argument, but I think you would hope for, I would say, I was going to say an experienced player. He's obviously a very young player still, but by Sunderland's standards, uh, a pretty integral cog and someone who's played a lot of championship minutes you would hope for better decision making is probably the best way of saying it but despite being a man like Middlesbrough were clinical and they took the chances three goals followed in 14 minutes very classy finish from Sam Greenwood who's worked his way into the side in the last couple of games Matt Crooks Isaiah Jones taking the mick quite frankly coming inside and finishing uh, well as well and then Marcus Force rounding it off in stoppage time I think the big difference on in this run for Middlesbrough has been the recall of Isaiah Jones, who did so well, of course, as a wing back under Neil War, uh, under Chris Wilder, sorry, but then sort of fell out of the team last season under Carrick. Didn't quite fancy him, played force on that side. He's coming to the team. He came on at half time at Sheffield Wednesday at the start of this run of five, um, and since hasn't come out of the team. I just think he offers them that difference maker in the in the final third, that pace, that incision, which particularly since they've lost, obviously, Chubrak, Palm, they've lost Aaron Ramsey, Cameron Archer. They need players who are match winners, and, and I think Isaiah Jones really gives them that. So, really big win for Middlesbrough and, and a, bit, a bit of a shocker for Sunderland in a derby match. Yeah, and I think that, you know, obviously Sunderland fans will look to that Daniel, you know, two yellows, as you touch on, but I am kind of the opinion. It's it's one of them, like, you, you know, you could argue it's soft, but again, we've seen it. Don't give the referee a decision to make. And and we have seen quite a strong initiative from the referees this season. You know, they've laid, this isn't a surprise, is it? This sort of stricter on um, foul and abusive language on kicking the ball away. We've seen so many other cars and stuff. So it's not new, is it? This is not match day one. No, exactly. And I think the thing is like, no one's arguing about the first being a So yeah, it's, um, it's difficult, but I, I think again, you know, I kind of lean in. Don't give, don't give the referee a, a choice. You know, that, that's the kind of thing we've we've been harmed before. But I, I do agree with you about Isaiah Jones. I just think as soon as they went down, he has that he has that space, and you know, we've seen how quick he can be. But he has the time and space to cause problems. I think Sunderland will be disappointed with this. Obviously, you don't want to lose four nil. Um, that's kind of going about the same. But it was a bit of a collapse, I think, in the second half, which is. You know, if you're a Sunderland fan, you will be disappointed. Um, but I think it's understandable. Obviously, the red card you stacked against it's Derby. You know, the emotions are running high. But I think it's probably a good time for them to regroup and you know go again after national break. But you know, from Middlesbrough, from that's more like the Middlesbrough from last season, isn't it? You talked about that run. That feels more like it under Michael Carrick. I, I think um, you know Middlesbrough fans certainly won't <laughs> feel like that uh, at the start of the season, but. They, to me, you know, from the outside perspective, they always look like a team that once they kind of got a couple of wins under the belt, they'd be fine and kind of, you know, looking in the right direction. And I think this is a really, you know, obviously a really good result that they can take into into this break and come out and hopefully carry it on for their sake. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I watched them at Ewood Park probably a fortnight ago now, two or three weeks ago, three weeks. And you could tell that they were just a bit low on confidence. They were lacking some incision in the final third, but 
they're never going to be a team that's down there. And you knew once they got a win, there was Carrick said it a lot of times. He wasn't that worried about the performances because they were doing the right things. And I think that's finally started to click in this run of games. And a few more square pegs in square holes, perhaps with you know Jones a natural winger playing there. They've had some issues with injuries at fullback. Um, so I think now they've sort of got a bit more of a settled team and they've obviously got more confidence by the fact they're winning games, which obviously comes naturally. I do think we'll see them start shooting up the table as they are. Do I think that it's a squad ready for the top six? I don't personally, because I think having, haven't we spoke about this before, but having lost the quality of players they lost, if you look, you know, every single low need they had has been sold to the Premier League. Jude Brackpom's obviously gone to the uh, Eredivisie, which is a you know a top six European league. So I, I do feel like people need to sort of forget last season. It's a new, completely new squad. They brought in some young players who are certainly below the quality that they had in terms of the loan players, but that's fine. But it's a different project now. Great win for them though, and they'll be delighted with that. Ipswich Town, they've continued their brilliant run as well. And they beat Preston North End 4-2 at Portman Road. We're t- it's just funny. We're talking about Sheffield Wednesday and obviously the situation there in Ipswich couldn't have done a polar opposite in terms of building on that momentum after the promotion that they had last season. Another game full of goals. Some very nice moves in this. I thought Connor Chaplin's goal was brilliant. Set-piece routine. Clinical finish. Um, obviously, Brandon Williams's run's got plenty of social media hits as well, picking it up in his own uh, in his own box after winning the ball. Driving. Good finish across the goalkeeper. I've, I've always thought he's got a bit of talent, Brandon Williams. Is he good enough to play for Man United? Probably not. But I definitely think there's a place for him. And clearly, if someone's going to put their arm around him and give him a bit of love like Kieran McKenna has done, then he does look like he's going to be a valuable player for Ipswich. Obviously, scored at Huddersfield. He scored the equaliser last week, didn't he? So I do think he's looked good. And then when you've got players like Nathan Broadhead, clinical finish, Caden Jackson finishing it off in stoppage time as well. Um, another brilliant game for Ipswich. They've cons- they've scored 19 goals in six games at Portman Road this season. So the dominance of last season is maintained. They've co- they started to concede a few more than they did last season, obviously with a step up in level from League One to the Championship. But the way they've gone about it and the goals they're scoring and the quality of their passing moves, so well coached and they're showing the same sort of values um, and style of play principles that Kieran McKenna used to get them promoted. And, you know, again, you look at the squad, it's not packed full of players that are, you know, you'd say he's a top six championship player and he is, but Connor Chaplin plays so well in the system, it suits him well. Broadhead's been a brilliant pickup as well um, from January and they're just going from strength to strength and, you know, I, me and George didn't, particularly buy into the hype of Ipswich before pre-season. We both thought they'd be comfortably top half, but people that were putting them in the top two, top six, going for my promotion, we were a little bit sceptical on that. And they might still run out of steam, but I have to say with each passing week and having watched them live uh, when Blackburn played at Portman Road a couple of weeks ago, they are a very, very good football team. They really are. I was obviously we played them um, not too long ago, and I was really impressed. I, I, and a person I wanted to highlight who I thought was fantastic against Huddersfield and was very unselfish for for Broadhead's goal is George Hurst. I just think, you know, you obviously strikers in this league, um, if they're good, they get snapped up to the prem. But he he's someone that's always impressed me. Every time I look at him, he's he's just a really a really good striker and brings others into play. And he, he like I say, he was unselfish for that. Um, yeah, you know, we we spoke a couple of weeks on our our pod, and um, you know, we're asking about Kieran Kenner because um, it's just you know fascinating, really, and it just it just feels like one of them. You know, they're just obviously Ipswich fans have had a tough time before before it kind of he came in, but just everything seems to be going right for them. You know, it's kind of like you know, 
Um, Brandon Williams, like you say, you know, they bring him in. He gets a, he gets the equaliser against Huddersfield, and then he has that driving run. You know, I thought that um, set piece goal, as you touched on from Chaplin, was was brilliant. And you know, they're just they're just a team with momentum. It was sec- it's second we've heard going into this, obviously against Preston, but yeah, it just felt like I don't know Ipswich are just on such momentum, and you know, like you say, you have to admire the coach and that McKenna's getting out of these players who. Admittedly, some of them you could argue aren't, you know, championship players potentially. They're not household names, are they? In the same no. way that you could read the Leeds United team, the Southampton team, Leicester, etc. No, and that's the thing. There's there's goals in this team. You know, obviously Preston. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about shortly. But like, you know, I thought Preston's goals were quite smart finishes. But um, that's the thing. This this Ipswich team's just relentless. They're going to outscore you. You know. Um, I just, yeah, they're just they're just a really good team, and like you say, will it will it last a, a season? We don't know, but the momentum they've got at the moment, you know, it's so important. I mean, we've we've seen this with sides in the past, but if you just have such a good start um, and you're just winning a lot of games at the start of the season, you can kind of average out a little bit and still end up in the playoffs. So this is the thing when I say that they might run out of steam. You know, even if they maintain a top six form, they could still get a lot of promotion because they've got that many points on the board already. Yeah, yeah, no, and credit to them. And, and I mean, um, if for Preston, um, you know, I'm kind of jumping the gun here. Obviously, it's three defeats in eight days for them. But I, I really admire Ryan Lowe as a manager. I think he's a really good manager and he's getting a lot out of this team. You know, on limited resources, I think you look at the other teams in this division to, to be up there, even at this stage of the season, I think he's doing a terrific job. And it's, it's tough, uh, you know, as someone who supports a team that doesn't, has typically not had as much resources as some of the other teams in this division, um, it does just come up with catch up with you sometimes, and I do think Ipswich were well worthy of this. And I don't think Preston fans, you know, again, in national break time, you can flip it out of the way, way you want. But it's probably a good time for them to regroup because um, they have they have started quite well and you know just run out of steam a little bit. But um, yeah, I think I think they're doing a really good job, and they should be proud of what they've achieved so far this season too. Yeah, absolutely. No shame in losing to Leicester and Ipswich really this week. No surprise in in my view, although. I think if you'd offered any Preston fan, what are they on, 20 points after 11 games? I think they'd have absolutely snatched Jarrand off. So mm-hmm. it's been a good start for them. The West Brom one was probably obviously a bit of a sore one, but the two that have come this week, I think they've probably competed slightly better than I thought they would, mm-hmm. albeit the results have been as we might have expected. Let's talk about the league leaders now, Leicester City. They continued their march and lost just one game in the Championship this season, 30 out of a possible 33. They beat Stoke City 2-0 at the King Power Stadium. Five goals, two clean cheats and two home wins this week for them. And it feels like a, a, a sort of a week for me where Kelechi Inacho in particular has, has come to the fore, come to the party, scored a penalty at Blackburn, which pretty much rounded up the game last Sunday, scored in midweek and scored again on to get the opener on Saturday. And some just some lovely touches and movement that, that suggests he's too good for the level, which we, we already knew beforehand coming into the season, but now it feels like he's starting to click. And as well as Jamie Vardy's doing in terms of scoring goals, I do wonder if Iheanacho is probably a better fit for a long-term number nine for this Enzo Maresca team. There was one move in particular where he gets it on the halfway line and he's just got too much quality and he just skips around the defender who, who basically trying to rugby tackle him to the floor by the end of it. Rolls through Keane and Dewsbury Hall. Good save by Mark Travers, but... That's the sort of level of quality that is why he's a Premier League striker, as most of the players in the Leicester City squad are. They are Premier League players. Um, this could have been far worse had it not been for a good performance from Travers in the Stoke City goal. Leicester, again, they just look imperious, don't they? And, and certainly at home, keeping clean sheets, not giving away many chances. And 
again, we've seen absolutely nothing to suggest they won't be champions come May. Yeah, I, I will praise Leicester shortly. I, I think the thing is they're essentially on loan to the championship. You know, I, I hate to bring up the, the financial aspect, but they're going to have a, you know, they're playing fantastic and I will credit them shortly. But most of the teams that have come down from the Premier League, they're going to have to do a pretty bad job to not be in the top six. But I think you touched on the Inacho's finish. It's a really smart finish. But I think what really impressed me about that is how patient they are in the build-up. They just probe you, they move you from side to side. And um, that's what makes them so impressive. And, you know, Enzo Maresca's side, and, you know, it's such a short space of time. But that's that's what really interests me. And you just see that quality. You know, they're just, they're not rushing things. They know they're going to unpick that defence. And, yeah, they do have a fantastic striker to to finish. And you talk, talked about Jamie Vardy. Again, it's simpler finishes simplest of finishes but it's the quick movement to create those opportunities like I say it's all the one touch it's slick it's it's very very impressive and um Mark Travers I, I think did play really well in this game and you know made some good saves under pressure you talked about that Jewsbury Hall chance um Stoke again like you know had a great opportunity at the start of the second half with with Nathan Lowe but they, they didn't really threaten and you know that's not to criticize Stoke you know most teams are going to go to the King Power and lose this season um but you know, they also did have a makeshift defence as well, Stoke. So maybe they can take some positives after this. But yeah, Leicester, I, I think you look at them and they, they, they've got to be there. They've got to win the league, surely. You know, that's a lot of pressure to put on um, them and it's not a given. But I just think they're the team for me. The, their squad is just, you know, full of quality. I think they've got Premier League players in there and they're going to have to do a lot wrong to, to win the title for me. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's interesting with Stoke because I think do think a little bit of pressure starting to grow on Alex Neal after you know only ten points after eleven games. That was not the expectations after a big investment in the summer. He's never got them quite right since he's gone in, and he's of course not the first manager to go into Stoke and struggle by any means. As you know, they've spat out and chewed, spat up and chewed out a lot of good managers. But having peaked in March, they went on that running march where they were unbelievable. You know, they went to Coventry, obviously, with one game from the uh, Premier League. And absolutely battered them and won four nil, but they've seemed to have gone backwards from then. And they, they obviously they had a lot of low knees. They kept some of them though. You know Hoover's still there. They bought Ben Pearson permanently. Um, yes, Smallbone didn't come in, but they've upgraded in goal with Travers. Just at the top end of the pitch, they're just not scoring enough goals, and that's more of a, a reflection on the first eleven games for Stoke rather than you know a reaction to the defeat at Leicester, which, as you say, a lot of teams will go to the King Power and lose. But I do think it's it's interesting with Stoke and I'm intrigued to see how the next few results go after the international break because they don't have a great run between, um, obviously, when we come back in mid-October to the next November international break. It could be on a bit of pressure. And I like Alex Neal. I think he's a really good manager. But there's something about Stoke City that just that just doesn't seem to work. Yeah, they're, they're a really strange side for me. Um, I, I was at the game where we drew two all with them, Neil Warnock's last game in charge. And some of their movement... It was like the best I'd seen from a team this season. It was just really quick, really direct. They were getting in behind. They looked really, really threatening. And then I just think our goals were like very, very sloppy from them. Um, you know, they kind of. I think that's the thing in it. When you bring that many players in, they don't know what the best team is. Like they've switched from a four to a three so often. Midfield dynamics changed. Different pairs up front. Vidigal's probably the only player that's had any sort of consistency playing up front for them. And I think that's that's where they've struggled. Yeah, and they're a bit of a catfish team, really. I think you look at, you know, they're bringing a lot of players. Obviously, they, they have some resources available to them. It just it doesn't really seem to work. Like I said, there's quite a few managers who've come in who, you know, um, they look good and it just doesn't seem to work. I, I mean, Stoke fan will be able to 
uh, tell me better than than I could comment on. But it's just such a strange team because I, I think they have quite a lot of the pieces, but it just doesn't, like you say, it's just a lot of chop and change and it just doesn't seem to work. No, you're absolutely right. Um, let's go to Loftus Road game that I was at, of course. Blackburn Rovers beating QPR 4-0. And anyone that's watched any of Blackburn Rovers in the last sort of month or so would say this one has been coming. Rovers were four defeats in a row in the league coming into this game, but they've played well. And the message from Yondar Thomason after every game has been, you know, there's not a lot wrong. They're, sure, they're not taking the chances enough and they're lacking a clinical scorer, giving away too many goals in this period. But it's no coincidence that all four managers have come away from the last four defeats and said Blackburn are the best team we've played this season. It's almost become a bit of a running joke when you've got Enzo Maresca, Tony Mowbray, Kieran McKenna and Mark Robbins in the week saying Blackburn are a really good team. It's little consolation, but it's a bit of vindication for JDT when they go and thump QPR 4-0. They scored at the right times. That was probably the difference. I said to Jon after the game, I think they've played better in some of the games they've lost and he agreed, but... You score at the right times, you go 2-0 up away from home in a championship match, you're going to win the game more times than not. Um, Joe Rocky Costello for Tyrese Dolan with the first, and Rovers did try and exploit that sort of right channel. It was very similar with the second goal with Sam Smodix pulling back for Sigurdsson. Great movement from him, and he, of course, scored the third with a lovely curling shot into the bottom corner. He already is looking like a huge play for Blackburn. They, they obviously didn't sign a Ben Burton, Diaz replacement because funds have been tight. But Sigurdsson looks like a really smart bit of business, obviously exploiting the FIFA regulations to get him in basically on a frozen contract from CSK Moscow. Keeping him fits the big thing. Obviously, he missed the first two months of the season, having picked up a groin injury in pre-season. He's already scored four goals in five championship games, plus one in the cup. So he's looking great. Smodix is now the championship top scorer as well, with seven for the season, beating last year's tally of six in all competitions. This one's really been coming for Blackburn Rovers and, and they deserved to get the win. I have to say, though, QPR were absolutely dire on top of that, especially when the second one went in. They've now won one of their last 20 home games in the championship. Pretty dire straits. And Gareth Ainsworth coming under a lot of pressure as well. Yeah, I'm going to quote another podcast, um, uh, Musa Akwanga. He says, before refreshing, there's always a chance that the team has. And Sinclair Armstrong obviously had that opening. But you just, as soon as it was... I thought Blackburn were great. Um, QPR, they're just, they're just not a good team at the moment. And but you know, as soon as Dolan gets the opening, you can just see the confidence drain out of the players. And as great as Blackburn were, I just I, it's so hard. I can't imagine what it's like being a QPR fan at the moment. It just feels like I mean, one win in twenty home games. That's nearly a year. That's nearly a calendar year, isn't it? Yeah, you win one at Loftus Road, and the, the fourth goal for me just kind of sums it up. It, you know, you've got their defender just passing it, to, you know, for for Blackman to finish. And you know, the thing is as well, you can see, you know, even what you know, even watching the game, you can see the anger from from the stands. And I think the th- the the damning thing is, you you know, when QPR nearly score um, towards the end again, there's like ironic cheers when they're putting passes together. It's just it's just a miserable time to it be. It did feel a little bit toxic at times, particularly I think when the second one in went in and then the fourth one, the boos were almost louder than the Rovers' cheers from the away end. You know, there's a lot of pressure on Ainsworth. I had scepticism about the appointment when they made it. I don't think they've obviously, they've got very little resources. There were big players missing at the weekend. They've had some success playing the back three with Steve Cook in the middle, Kai Kai on the right. Kai Kai was on the bench. Steve Cook was absent. I assume he was injured. They got a left footer um, playing at right back, a young lad who just out of his depth completely, who cocked up for the fourth goal, as you've just mentioned. And I, I feel sorry for him in some sense, but 
I, d- I don't think he's going to keep QPR. I just don't think he'll keep the team up. Sinclair Armstrong is the shining light in this team. He, he did cause problems, particularly in the first half for Hayden Carter, but they're very reliant on him. At least Chair's gone a little bit, you know, playing for himself rather than the team a little bit. And I don't, I don't even mean that in a damning way. I just think he's trying to do too much because the quality around him is just not there. Chris Willock's not barely kicked a ball in the last 12 months since Ainsworth came in, having been one of the best players in the championship. It just isn't quite right there. I think in football, we don't really talk about, like, you know, when we talk about managerial points, we don't really talk about the fit. And I, I always felt the fit with Ainsworth. I know he's he got experience, you know, experience there as a player, but it just it didn't feel right. You know, you look at QPR and the sides when they've done well in the past, and it, it's very different to what Ainsworth offers. I, I know you talked about the resources and how um, it's difficult. It's not like they can go and sign their way out of trouble, but it, I think he's on borrowed time. You know, I, the, I, I have a few QPR fans who I chat to and I just, you know, to see the timeline after that game, obviously it's never going to be good, but it just, I don't see how Ainsworth turns this around. I think that's the, that's the thing. And I'd be worried if I was QPR because yeah, I just, there's, there is a few bad teams in this division this season, um, you know, which I'm quite relieved as a Huddersfield fan, but I think they're one of them. And I just, yeah. I just don't, I agree with you. I just don't see them staying up unless they do make a change. Yeah, I, I think, they, as I say, I was really doom on gloom. I had them bottom of the league in my 1-24 to prediction. I think George had the same off the top of my head. Certainly had them going down. And then they had a little run where they looked better and they got a bit, they changed shape. They went to a 3-5-2 and it looked like they were maximising plays. But they get a few injuries and that, that drop from the sort of first 11. The first 11 they've been putting out that before this run probably is good enough to just about stay up. But you can't rely on that in 46 games. And as soon as that you're dropping into you more squad players, they're not good enough and they'll be right down there in that in the bottom sort of if they stay up, it'll be because they've made a change and because they've got lucky with injuries, I think, or they sign well in January, of course. Um let's go to Birmingham City on the Friday night. They beat West Brom 3-1. Probably one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in a championship game for the penalty. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers, of course. John Swift had put West Brom ahead with a good finish from uh, from the edge of the box. He's in good form for them. I think he scored in his last three now, scored the winner in midweek against Sheffield Wednesday. But honestly, one of the worst calls you've ever seen. Um, uh, Darnell Furlong just tackles Myoshi. It, it's not over the ball. He gets a big chunk of the ball. No one's really appealing for a foul. Myoshi's rolling around a little bit, but he's not appealing for anything. You can get hurt in, a, in an honest challenge. And to give that penalty and to give that decision, I just don't know what he's seen. I don't know where his linesman is on that side to help him out. And it's had a huge influence on the game because obviously that gets Birmingham level with Bakuna slotting it away very coolly. And then 15 minutes later, the 2-1 down. Brilliant ball from Cody Drama into the box. Great header by Sanderson back across goal. And suddenly you're 2-1 down. Missed a big chance, of course, with Furlong again at the back post. And then a really nice moment, in fairness, where uh, Gary Gardner who's been out for a long time with injuries, steps up and curls it into the top corner. Game over. So I've got a bit of sympathy for West Brom because I do think this was quite an even game. If you take away the penalty, which just is never a penalty in a million years, and um, you know they take that chance with Furlong, they could quite easily come away with a point or win the game. It's such a big call at such a crucial moment in the game. It's impossible not to reflect on that as, as the biggest moment and the biggest talking point. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think obviously referees and um, decisions is a very hot topic, not just in this league at the moment. It, I, I do, I do feel for. I wonder him if there'll be any calls to replay the game. 
Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I think West Brom would like that. But yeah, um, I think I, I completely agree with you. It gives him a way back into the game. It's a great penalty. And I actually think Birmingham, you know, take a lot of confidence from that. They probably did deserve to win. I think you touched on it. I think for the furlong miss is the key point. You know, that's just a, a chance. I know he's a defender, but you've got to take that. And as great as the free kick was, and Birmingham, you know, probably by the end deserved to win it. It's just, it's yeah, it just, it just went against him. I think it's one of them where, you know, West Brom, you can feel a bit hard done by, obviously. Um, and maybe that's that's a good thing. Obviously, they never like to lose. But I think just when you have a decision like that, which is outrageous, you know, in a lot of respects, you kind of, I suppose it's probably easy to shrug off and, and you know, about, you know go into because it's not like you play particularly poorly. Like you say, I think this game was on a bit of a knife edge before then. Um, but yeah, Birmingham, it, you know, I think that they're a good team. They obviously <laughs> did a number on Huddersfield in midweek and... Um, I, you know, obviously, there's a rumours about Eustace and and Rooney. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come on to that. So just to sort of paint the picture a little bit, um, we don't always talk. We don't generally talk about rumours, but that such is the strength of the reports and the t- the quick timescale. I'm expecting this to get done within the next 48 hours. It looks like John Eustace is going to be leaving Birmingham City, whether you want to term it as mutual termination, getting sacked, whatever. Maybe he goes to Rangers. I don't know, but it looks like one way or another he's going to be pushed out the door, essentially, at Birmingham. And Wayne Rooney's coming in, um, having left DC United in the last 48 hours. I I read a tweet, um, and it's just basically said, football, you don't need to go looking for trouble in football because it finds you often enough. And it feels like Birmingham are going looking for trouble with this appointment. A lot of people are are going back to the Gary Rowett sacking and bringing in Jans Franco Zola. I don't think it's quite marked two of that because I don't... I think it's a terrible decision if John Eustace is taken away from Birmingham City through no choice of his own. He's done such a good job there. He's got really promising signs. They've recruited really well in the summer with the likes of Dembele coming in and adding quality. People like Christian Bielik who've come in for not a lot of money and had terrible injuries before, but he's maximised. It feels like he's got the most out of some troubled players. You know, Janino Bakuna is another one that's clearly got talent. Of course, you'll know from his Huddersfield connection. He's got a lot of talent, but he seems to be getting that out of him more consistently and he's, he's winning games that other managers have failed to do that. So to take him out through not of his choice, I think would be a really poor decision. I actually think Wayne Rooney did a really good job at Derby, despite the relegation. I think a lot of what they did was played some good football. There was a good identity. It was certainly not one of the worst three teams that season. They obviously didn't do great the season before when they just stayed up um, in the COVID year. But the season they went down with all the points deductions and the administration, I thought he did a good job in it. I thought it was a little bit of a shame that he moved when he did and didn't just see it through till the takeover, because I think he could have got Derby back up and um, enhanced him. It was a bit of a weird move to go to the MLS at that time, because I felt his stock was quite high. And whether it's English ignorance, um, I feel like you go abroad, you get forgotten about a little bit. So I don't I don't think people should forget that Rooney did quite a good job at Derby, but he shouldn't be coming in. Like, that's the bottom line. He shouldn't be making that change. So if the Birmingham owners make this decision, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Wayne Rooney to hit the ground running and it's going to be an unpopular decision with the fans because I know Birmingham City players are players, fans and the club are right behind John Eustace. So to make this change is going to be, it's going to be a huge decision for the new owners. I think, you you know, obviously new owners want to bring in their own people. I think if you're a Birmingham City fan, you've got to ask, is it an upgrade? You know, For me, Rooney is... It's really hard to judge Rooney. I know you talked about Derby um, and, you know, how he did a good job. But 
it was such a strange set of circumstances. Not a clear upgrade. There's no, nothing to suggest that that is a clear upgrade. I completely agree. No, I, I don't think so. And it was such a, sh- a strange set of circumstances at Derby. And, you know, I think a lot of people, um, some Derby fans I spoke to, they credit Liam Senior quite a lot for that as well. Obviously, we've seen what he's doing at Hull, but it's it's a really difficult one. And, and you know, again, maybe it's my ignorance, but MLS, like, it's hard to judge whether he's done a good time there at DC United. So it's an interesting appointment. But um, so, I, you know, from afar, I'll be interested to see how he gets on because, you know, obviously you want to see English managers do well from a, from a, but yeah, just John, John Eustace, it feels like they're on a, you know, they're doing well, like they moved up to the championship table at the international break after 11 games, having not finished in the top half of the championship for a best part of a decade. Yeah. It just seems like a strange time really. Um, so, I mean, we'll see, but yeah, I, I just, I don't really see this as an upgrade. Um, I think it's a big name and obviously, you know, if you the think American like, links are obvious as well. Yeah, if you're thinking cynically, it's it's a big name, and if you want to capture that audience, we've seen with other teams that have had American owners come in. You know, it does attract that audience, and you can bring in a lot of income this way. But yeah, if if Eustace is, you know, if the rumours, if this is going to happen, um, feel a bit hard done by for Eustace because it seems like he's on onto something there, and it it just the timing's odd. I think that's the, that's the main thing. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, let's go to Plymouth 1 at Swansea City 3 now. Big win for the Swans again, like Middlesbrough. They are on a roll now with no defeats in four, three wins in a row, and it's been a great week for them having beat Millwall um, last weekend as well. They did have to thank the goalkeeper, Carl Rushworth, who pulled off a couple of big saves at 1-0 with Liam Cundall putting them ahead. Bit of a mix-up um, with Darling not quite clearing the ball and, and the goalkeeper not getting enough on it to clear comes out on the edge of the box and it's a good finish from Luke Cundall for 1-0. But Brian Hardy had a few good opportunities, good saves by Rushworth. And then they got themselves back into the game. They, they stuck in, you know, it's a young Swansea side. They were resilient. It's a lovely ball from Jamie Patterson for the equaliser, headed across goal and, and Jerry Yates makes it one all. And then a superb strike from Ollie Cooper from range into the bottom corner. Could they have been a little bit more proactive, Plymouth in shutting the ball down? Possibly, but I think you've just got to say that's a, a really good strike. And then again, Patterson was at the heart of the third goal, um, squaring the ball for Josh Key um, to score for 3-1 on the counter-attack. So really good result for Swansea. I think Plymouth will be disappointed to have had two home games this week against you know, mid-table teams that haven't had the greatest start in Millwall and, and Swansea and not got anything from the games. Although I'd, they were very unlucky with some of the officiating against Millwall in the week. They're just leaking a few too many goals at, at home, which is where we expect them to get the bulk of their points. They've only got one clean sheet at home part this season against Blackburn Rovers. Um, so they just need to tighten up a little bit, but nothing too co- concerned. I think they'll be a bit disappointed, say, with the, the opposition they played. But really, really big test of character for Swansea. You know, at 1-0 down, um, under the cosh a little bit. You know, Clemson's a tough place to go. Having it, it was sort of the making of them. You know, you win a couple of games as they had. They could have easily gone under, but they've stuck to it. They've got the result and... Mike Duff going into the international where it probably didn't expect three weeks ago to have the so have the sort of bounce back that they've had. Yeah, like you say, that's four straight wins for Michael Duff now, which certainly is that pressure. I do think this is one of those games that could have gone either way. I think again, it's easy to look back on it now, but I think that that form Swansea have going into it is probably what tipped him over. I think Plymouth will be all right. They play quite well, you know. I They've think, got Matt Winners at the top end of the pitch, haven't they? With Whitaker, Hardy, Mumba. Yeah, and they they play good stuff, and I think they're in quite a lot of games. I I just um, 
I, if I'm being harsh, I know it's not their first choice goalkeeper. I think Hazard left a, a lot to be desired in this. I think, you know, obviously it's a good delivery by Patterson and, for the, and Colin Gamble's on it, but he's kind of thinking it's going out. And obviously Yates is where all good strikers should be and he's alert to it. And you touched on the other keeper, Rush, with making a few good saves. But um, that goal, by the way, their third goal, that is such a textbook third goal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, if we had, if we did football cliches, that would be that would be like the visual version of, of a counter attack on on the break. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I thought Patterson was made very sure of the points. That was like the definition of a made sure of the points goal. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I think Patterson was really good in this as well. Um, but again, I think Hazard he'll be frustrated to probably get you know touch on that from from key you know again it's the end of the game and maybe I'm being a bit harsh on the keeper but a Plymouth you know obviously Huddersfield have played them and I thought they were really good against us um with mistakes but I think they they're a good team and as I kind of touched on there's there's, te- there's teams in this division that are worse than them so I think they'll be all right they'll they'll probably go through a tough patch as all kind of promoted teams do but I think they'll have enough to to be in this division next season yeah, I, I completely agree. Me and George both expected them to stay up. And I think that when you play attacking football like they do with one of the lower budgets in the league as a newly promoted team that's not been at this level for a while as well, you're going to get a few results there. They'll probably get a few spankings on the road, but I think they'll pick up a lot of points at home and they'll be a very difficult place for teams to go to home part. And we'll round off with Leeds United. They beat Bristol City 2-1 at Ellen Road. Uh, an absolute sitter from Jorginho Ruta at the start of this game. But I think he should, like, he's obviously not the finished article in terms of goal scoring and being that number nine. But what he does offer you is pressing from the front. And we saw that winning the ball back for Dan James's opener. He gets, you know, he's, he's quick on the press. They win it back inside the Bristol City box. And he's a good all-round player. He's still got bits to finesse in terms of his, his quality in front of goal. But he's only a young striker. That's why they invested the money and he's not the finished product. But he's got a lot of raw attributes and he works hard. And I, I, I like him as a player. I do think he gives them a bit of chaos at, at the top end of the pitch, which they need. Um, and we saw that the the, the, the good side of that, uh, winning the ball back. Good finish from Dan James. Um, of course, Bristol City got himself level with a header from Cal Naismith from a corner. But Joel Perot showing his class from the edge of the box. Um, with a finish to make it 2-1. There's been quite a big discussion in sort of the Leeds sphere this week about whether Perot should be playing as a number nine, should he be playing as a number 10. I think Daniel Farker had a, a pre-prepared 13-minute answer to this question in his press conference because I think it's just been discussed that long. But I think he, I read that he sort of said to the journalist, look, I'll give you a 13-minute, I'll give you the biggest expression I can. Don't ask about it again because it just kept coming up and up. Personally, I think he's better as the 10, particularly in this side. I think having the runners of whether it's Somerville on the right and Nonto on the left or Dan James and Jane Nantony as it's been with the injuries, I think he can link play. I think if you look at a lot of his goals at Swansea, they were from sort of the edge of the box rather than the sort of poacher finishers. So I think if you've got Root to stretch the play and sort of be chaotic, bit of a nuisance at the top of the pitch, it creates more space for him in and around the, um, the edge of the box. He's not the best presser in the world, but he's got quality when he's got the ball to feet. So I do think those sort of goals that we saw, the goal that we saw, which obviously won them the game, that comes because he's in those sort of areas in that number 10 position. So that, that's my personal take on it. Leeds had other big chances to, to wrap this up. It could have been a bigger scoreline. Somerville hit the bar, also had another effort saved. So they've been pretty good. I, I, I'd be interested to see what you think of Leeds. Obviously, someone in the West Yorkshire sphere as well. I still think they would be my favourites to finish second. Because now the transfer window's closed. I just think that they're starting to settle down. We're starting to see their best 11. They've had a couple of injuries, but I just think Farker, now he's got 
he's got a real grip on this football club really early and that's not easy for a club of Leeds size and the chaos that they were under with the takeover and everything in the summer. So I think Leeds will go from strength to strength and I think they will be the team that catches up Ipswich in Leicester and makes that maybe more of a free freeway fight if there's if we had to pick a team that, that will obviously emerge from the pack. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Farker for me is a fantastic appointment at this level. And I think, you know, the longer he has to work with that squad, we will, I, I completely agree, we'll, we'll see them at the top end of the table come the end of the season. Rutta for me is so it's so interesting. I just, I'm going to use a weird analogy here, but it feels like a, it feels like a bit of a recipe where it's like, there's loads of good ingredients in there, but it's just missing that something that ties it all together. But when it all ties together, and, you know, I, I think he looked good in this game. There's some really nice touches and you know beating a couple of players and obviously but he does I, that doesn't he? he does like three good things and then he'll miss a sister from six yeah and that's just where he's at at the moment yeah exactly but I think when it clicks um it'll be you know I think he'll, he'll have teams worried but they've just got a lot of quality I, I think you know Ampadu and Kamara is, is just a really good midfield pairing and um the only thing I would say from this really is I think Leeds were very dominant in this and, you know, deserved to win the game. And you, as you touched on, deserved to win by quite a bit. But, you know, it was really sloppy defending for the goal from now. now so, yeah. yeah. And then obviously Byram heads off the line and Bristol only really threatened from set pieces. But that's something um, they'll need to watch out for. The stat I saw, which amazed me and probably tells you about the tough time Leeds have had, is that was the back-to-back victories for the first time since November 2022. Um yeah. Wow. Yeah, so there you go. Um, so yeah, if, I know I'm a Huddersfield fan, but uh, I will give Leeds credit where they where they were. But yeah, I think they'll be up there towards the end of the season. I think they've got a lot of young, exciting players, and I think they've got a brilliant manager in Farker, and I think it will click. And as you see, over time, like you touched on, it'll just all bed in. And yeah, I I think they'll they'll be up there coming the end of the season. Yeah, none more so than Archie Gray, um, who's obviously been brilliant at the start of the season. Played right back in this one, um, and just looked like he got a pair of slippers on. Uh, he's, he's a real talent and, and whether it's in midfield, whether it's at fullback, wherever he's becoming a regular for Leeds United. There was quite a lot of draws in the championship this season, five in this season, this week. There was five in total. Obviously, we've touched on Huddersfield and Sheffield Wednesday, but big draw for Rotherham United, their first away point of the season, ravished by injuries. Uh, Matt Taylor subbed Fred on your dimmer after half an hour, not because of anything to do with him, but they were getting that badly battered that he just had to put another defender on and make that tactical change. They rode their luck. Victor Hansen pulls off a brilliant save of uh, at one all, um, having gone behind after two minutes. It's I think they finished the game with 0.1 xg to Southampton's three. Um, Jordan Hugel scores a brilliant goal, a volley out of nothing, and this just might be something that breathes a bit of confidence into them because we spoke about Rotherham where they're good at the New York Stadium, but they, they're basically trying to stay up on 23 games. They've got to be better away from home, and this is a really good start, really good resilience. Um, and a, and a, a good win, uh, a good point for them, of course, against the Southampton side. That look, if Southampton play like that most weeks, they'll they'll win the game. It's it's a touch of fortune, but Rotherham will probably feel with some of the results, some of the performances they they put in in other games, that they deserve a bit of luck in this one. Yeah, and I think as as someone who follows a team that's normally down towards in the table, um, having a good keeper makes a hell of a difference. And Victor Hansen's one of the best in the division for me. And you saw his saves. Gives you that confidence, you know. If you can stay in the game, um, as we saw with Hugo, when it's like a you know very limited chance, excellent finish. You know they deserve that point. I, I don't, I don't want to upset Southampton fans here, but I struggle with Russell Martin a bit. You know, obviously I've seen his Swansea side playoffs a couple of times, and they just they dominate the ball, but I, I do think they 
again, you know, it's a limited sample size at Southampton, but I think they've got a lot of good attacking players, but they just, it was a bit similar to his Swansea side. I, I just feel like they look like they should score more than they do and they don't and they let the opposition in. Um, yeah. You know, we saw obviously they beat Leeds and that was fine and it'd be interesting to see how it'll go across the season, but that felt like a very Russell Martin side performance, I think, um, yeah. you know, from from what I've seen from his time at Swansea when we've played them. Um, yeah. So I imagine that's really, really frustrating for Southampton fans. But um, yeah, full full credit to Rotherham. That's a great point, and hopefully they can they can build on that. Yeah, um, two all draw. Desmond at the Den, Millwall two, Hull two. I think Jaden Philogene quite clearly the best player on the pitch here, causing havoc. Scored one to to make it one all after Duncan Watmore had opened the scoring, set up the second for Adama Traore. I'm not quite sure what the goalkeeper's doing for the second one. He's gone walkies a little bit. Squared for Traore, and he makes it two one, but. Joe Bryan got them level with a really nice solo goal. Um, so it's, you know, four points from the week, considering where Millwall were last weekend, having been beaten by Swansea. It's a good week for Millwall. Still doesn't feel like everything's quite right there. They're not really Millwall-y performances at the moment. You know, leaking two at the den. Um, it's just not not quite them. It, I'd be interested to see how they settle down again between October and the next international break and whether things just, you know, the fans are a bit restful, you know, there's a bit of unrest, whether there's a change there potentially, whether things have gone a bit stale. They're an interesting club for me. Um, we had Coventry 1, Norwich City 1, really good strike from John Rowe, probably the best young player in the Championship this season so far, putting them ahead and then an own goal from Ben Gibson under no pressure heading past Tim Krull. And then probably my favourite moment of the weekend, Brady, um, Cardiff 1, Watford 1, and that will be remembered for an absolute howler from the goalkeeper, Alnick. Took the touch, robbed by Bayo, and uh, you just want the ground to swallow you up when something when you see something like that happen. Oh my god! I, yeah, I obviously didn't watch this in full, but um, yeah, I can imagine the the panic if you're if you're a Cardiff fan with that. And he, he did it a couple of times. You know, he won't want to see a replay of this game. Um, I think what also what a finish from Mark McGuinness in that one. Um, yeah, really so he's kind of contract extension earlier in the season, but yeah, great. But yeah. Um, Cardiff will be disappointed with that because they really let Watford back into this and Watford had plenty of chances and they probably should have won it. It was interesting with Watford, of course, they gave Valerian Ismail a contract extension this season. I loved how they, they put the statement out because nobody clicked on that and read what they thought they were going to click. Yeah, to, yeah, Watford, I mean, to be fair... They knew what they were doing, didn't they? Exactly, yeah. And got to let them have it because, uh, yeah, <laughs> their track record isn't great. Very odd as well. Very unlike Watford to do it. What were they 20th in the table? Well, yeah, exactly. They're in the bottom six. I think I've read this evening the, the planning to fire the technical director because they've obviously got to fire someone and oh, yeah. can't can't do it for the manager. Although it would not, do you know, it would not shock you if Watford sat the manager between now and the next international break, having just given him a new contract and therefore probably having to pay more in compensation and things like that. That's just the way that football club is. Um, but that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. Big thank you to Brady for stepping in and joining us this week. Brady, do you want to just tell people if they want a bit more of a Huddersfield Town fix where they can find you guys? Yeah, um, so you can follow us. Uh, so it's Andy Takes That Chance, named after Christopher Schindler's iconic winning penalty against Reading to take us to the Premier League. Um, yeah, you probably if you don't support Huddersfield, probably not worth listening, but we do get uh, fans from, from other clubs to come on. So um, maybe worth tuning in to see uh, as we preview the shows, the show I'm on, but we also review them. So, hey, if we uh, have a bad win, you can you can tune in and see us have a little meltdown. Yeah, so if you're a rival fan, basically, and you beat Huddersfield well, if you're a Birmingham fan, for example, for midweek, go and check out the review. 
uh, and, and and take a bit of joy out of it. But no, big thanks to Brady for stepping in for the podcast this week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed wherever you get your podcast from, and you'll get the latest episode from us every Monday. And follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. And once again, a huge thanks to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat. The Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.